This morning's sermon is Raised with Christ, part 3. We'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 35, and we will go to the end of the chapter in verse 58. Our key words for our worshipers in training are bodies, resurrected, and imperishable. I saw um, an, a video clip on the internet a few uh, months ago, and I remembered it as I was thinking on this morning. I think it's a Dove soap commercial. I'm not sure. I think so. But on the video, you get a close-up of a woman's face. And her face is clean. She has no makeup on. A few minor blemishes, normal. And then the pace of the video starts to speed up. And as it speeds up, you see this process of transformation on her face. Her makeup artists are coming and rushing in and out. And her hair is being done up. And her eyelashes are being curled. And everything is being done up just right. And then you see pictures being taken and the wind blowing so her hair is flying back for the pictures. And then... That picture is taken over to the computer and you see her neck extended and her face thinned out and her ears taken to the right size and her nose made just the right size and her eyebrows raised and then that picture is taken to a billboard for everyone to see and you realize in the end what we see is not what we saw in the beginning. It's a completely different person. And so, an image is created of what the culture determines to be perfect and what perfect physical beauty looks like. And so, as a result, in the end, we spend billions of dollars a year on cosmetics and hair products and gym memberships and laser hair removal and the latest fashions and tanning salons and Botox and You name it, we spend money on it. Now, I'm not saying necessarily don't do these things. We want to be good stewards of our bodies. We want to look good for our spouse. But please admit that all of these things can and often are very sinful. Now, here's the point of this. We have an obsession with how we look. Especially as we compare ourselves to others. Don't think for one minute that the advertising industry doesn't understand that. They do very well, hence the billboards. But this points to a greater reality. Physically, we all understand in some way Something is wrong. Something always exists that could be improved upon. And you add to whatever we think we look like physically, the flu and pink eye and mono and cancer and AIDS and obesity and heart failure and Alzheimer's disease and stubbed toes and broken fingers and blindness... Physically, something is messed up very badly. 
We've been talking over the last two weeks of something greater to come as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember last week we talked about the fact that because Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, that we too will be resurrected from the dead bodily. Christ was raised. Christ was given a glorified body. Therefore, Christians will be raised and will also receive a glorified body. So the question is, what does that mean? What does that look like? Paul's going to address that in the text today. We will see that what is broken here physically in our bodies, those blemishes we see that we try so hard to improve on, the physical nature of our bodies that is broken and decaying, disease, sickness, suffering, perishable beauty, all of this will be done away with in the resurrection. No more suffering, no more doctors, no more temptation or desire to look like billboard models because everything will be perfect. So remember, Paul argued in verses 12 through 34 that because Christ was raised from the dead, Christians also will be raised from the dead. So he's answering the objections of those who claim that Christ was raised, but that believers won't be raised. But he wrote in verse 13, remember, if you look with me, if there is no resurrection of the dead... In other words, if Christians will not rise from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised from the dead. And so Paul made this very strong argument that all that we do matters and has meaning because of the resurrection and because of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And so we pick up in verse 35. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? So he says in there, but. So he is following his argument from the previous verses. Questions were asked. Presumably the Corinthians were asking Paul for clarification on what happens after one dies. And so Paul is giving them additional details about the death and resurrection of Jesus and additional details about the death and resurrection of the Christian. Well, Paul's going to use examples from creation to make his point. So obviously, Paul told, not just in this letter, but previously as he preached, he told the Corinthian church that they would eventually be resurrected from the dead. As a result, they had questions, as I'm sure all of us do. Two questions mainly that Paul will address. First, how are the dead raised? Second, with what kind of body do they come? Now, don't assume by this that some of the Corinthians were not a bit skeptical. Of course they were. 
Indeed, the manner in which Paul addresses all of these questions gives clues that there were some naysayers in the crowd. Remember in verse 34, he was telling them, Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. So some of the Corinthians were being influenced by false teachers who were saying there is no resurrection from the dead. And so as a result, as Paul comes preaching this reality... They were questioning whether or not it was true. And so they asked, how can a dead body be raised from the dead? How can an old, buried, burned body bring about life? Is the new body the same as the old body? If not, how can we talk about the resurrection? Now, there were Greek philosophers that believed in immortal souls. They rejected the idea of immortal bodies. Remember in Acts chapter 17, Paul is in the Areopagus preaching to the Stoic and Epicurean philosophers. And as he's preaching to them, he ends what he has to say, proclaiming that Jesus was raised from the dead. And as a result of that one statement, it says, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked Paul. And so they completely rejected this idea of a resurrection. Similarly, the Jews did not believe in a resurrection. At least in part, some of them did not. They believed the soul after death went to God and the body simply returned to dust and that was it. Some Jews thought, perhaps, that maybe the same body might eventually return to the soul, but they did not understand how that would work together. So, most Corinthians probably believe that the soul, at least, would go to be with God. That was the Greek understanding, that was predominantly the Jewish understanding, but probably not a resurrection of the body. So, we understand their skepticism as Paul is teaching this. The big questions they had for Paul were ultimately, if Jesus is going to get me through the grave and give me a resurrected body with no sickness, no disease, no infirmity, no ailment, how will it happen and what will it be like? It's a good question. So he addresses that. Verse 36, he's speaking, you foolish person. Well, who is he talking about? Who is he calling foolish? He's speaking of those who deny the resurrection from the dead. Verse 36, You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. This is very similar to Jesus' words in John chapter 12 and verse 24 when Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So what is Jesus talking about and what is Paul talking about? The same thing. To an agrarian society, those who were agriculturally minded, this made perfect sense. When a seed is planted in fertile ground with the proper moisture and the right temperature and all of the elements that are necessary, the seed germinates. What does germination do? It causes the seed to disintegrate. And so the dying seed, the disintegrating seed, gives new life to a plant and eventually it matures and produces fruit. 
And so we sow the seeds, but we are able, we are unable to bring about the process of germination and new life. That is a work of God. And so Paul teaches us using the idea of the seed and relating that to the human body. At death, the body descends to the grave. The body is placed in the ground. It disintegrates and eventually disappears into the dust. But he carries on in verse 37. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of weed or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars for star differs from star in glory. So, Paul instructs the Corinthians that what is sown is a bare kernel. It's round, it's hard, it's dry, it's placed in the ground, it is sown as a seed. Likewise, the body placed in the ground. But, he tells us in verse 37, it is not what it is to be. So we plant a seed, what do we expect to grow? Not more seeds, not more of the same, but something different. A plant that bears fruit, right? So, in the form, in form, the plant that grows is wholly different from the seed that is planted. From the seed that is sown. So in other words, what is sown is not identical to what is grown though they are related in order for that which is to grow to be that which is sown must have been planted so out of dying disintegrating seeds new life comes forth this is paul's illustration the bodies in the grave one day with jesus we will rise like jesus we will get out of the grave with glorified new bodies, far more beautiful, far more magnificent, far more wonderful and glorious than ever we could hope for or imagine. Now, think about Jesus' resurrection, as we've spoken of for a few weeks now, to understand and to answer the question of what this will be like. Remember, Jesus' dead body was placed in a tomb, Three days later, resurrected in a glorified body. And he appeared, as 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, after his resurrection to over 500 believers. And so his followers recognized him. Yet, he was completely different, right? Jesus was no longer subjected to time and space. We see Jesus entering and leaving rooms, not through the door, but simply appearing where he was. He appears all over the place, and the Scriptures give no indication of him making travel like he did previously. As we see during his life, Jesus is traveling from one place to another. He's getting tired. He's stopping for water, and on and on and on. We don't see that after the, the resurrection. 
So what will we look like? Will you all be as good looking as me? Just kidding. (laughs) Making sure you're awake. (laughs) Will the elderly have a body or an appearance like youth? Or will elect infants be like adults? What will that be like? Well, we must be silent with Scripture. Paul doesn't tell us. But he does say in verse 38, God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. So, it seems evident from the text what Paul writes and what is seen in Jesus' appearing post-resurrection. At the resurrection, our bodies will be restored, will be transformed, will be glorified. So we're not receiving a completely wholly different body, but a fixed and perfect body. And all of our individual characteristics will be evident. Think of it this way. In infants' features, when a child is born, some of their features will remain throughout their life. And so you can look at their baby pictures as an adult and see the characteristics of them that have Remain. So maybe their eyes or the shape of their face or their mouth or whatever it is. And so while changes occur in childhood and adulthood and their teen years and everything, there is still continuity across their life. They are the same, but they look a little bit different. And so we'll take that and we add to that a whole other element, which is glorification. The resurrection of the body, the immortal soul, proves the continued extension of human existence. Paul is very clear through all of this that the soul will not die. That's why he speaks of believers when they die. He simply says they fall asleep. They will awake in glory. So we have assurance in Christ whose resurrection is the guarantee of the resurrection of His church. Because Christ has been raised from the dead and given a new, whole, glorified body, we too will be raised from the dead and given a new, whole, glorified body. And since our bodies are to be just like Christ, then we too will be able to eat and drink And yet, we will pass through time and space, and the Scriptures tell us, fly into the clouds to meet Him. We will be recognizable, but we will be perfect, and we will be fully beautiful. And by beautiful, we're not talking about our skewed concept of what beauty is. And so the question is often raised in this, what about Uncle Larry and Aunt Sally? They were cremated. Or what about my Uncle Joe, who lost his life at sea and became fish food? What about them? Well, Paul is sort of arguing here, if God can make the sun and God can make the moon and the stars and the earth out of nothing, Hebrews 11 teaches if God can make stars and plants and animals and fish, if God can make the first man from dust, first woman from the rib of man... God can make a body for us. 
If God can make everything as He has, then surely He can make a new body. And so Paul doesn't give us all the details of that, but he just leads us to trust in God. Trust in a sovereign God who is able. It is not a complicated task whatsoever for the God who created you and everything else to reassemble one's body. So you see, we will be real people with real bodies and have real relationships. We will worship God. We will have reunions with others. We will meet Paul and Abraham and Daniel and David and Peter and on and on. And the overwhelming joy of worshiping our glorious God will only be intensified by our delight in meeting and dwelling eternally with all of God's wonderful creatures. So Paul gives us a glimpse of what eternal life is like. It's beautiful. It is glorious. Pick up in verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So the body we're in now, I need not tell anyone this It's frail. It gets sick. It gets injured. And eventually, it dies. And so when it comes to the pain and the suffering that we experience in this life, we understand Jesus in John 16.33. In this world, you will have trouble. And be assured of this, Jesus always keeps His promises. And you know, I've never heard someone who has a name-it-and-claim-it theology want to claim this promise. (laughs) You will have troubles, undoubtedly. So when life is good here on this earth, it's just an interlude between troubles. When there's any sense of peace or happiness in this world, it is quickly snatched away by a phone call or doctor's visit or a late night knock at the door from the sheriff's department. We have to be realistic about the broken, fallen world that we live in. Jesus does not promise health, wealth, and financial prosperity. In Acts 14.22, we see the Apostle Paul saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So listen, without suffering, we cannot enter the glorious resurrection that Christ has for us. We must understand this in order to live well and prepare ourselves to die well. When we understand what's gained, we can face death without fear. We can say with the Apostle Paul, for to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. 
We can be confident when facing death as Christians. And we need not live in denial of this reality that we will indeed die. Pretending it won't happen, it will. But oh, the glorious resurrection! After two decades of ministry, the Apostle Paul expressed the tension that even wise, mature Christians can feel during great suffering. And it tempted him to lose hope, and yet he still clung to the hope. The reality of his rescue to come. He expresses in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, he wrote, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. There it is again. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And so Paul and his associates, they themselves despaired of life and were tempted to lose hope. So the pain that we experience in this life, will not seem so severe if we understand that first, it is temporary, and second, that it is very necessary for us. It is only through suffering that we experience the victory that Jesus intends for us. Paul wrote that Christians, in 2 Corinthians 4.10, he said, Christians are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And thus, through suffering, we connect with the transforming, resurrecting power of God. God does not intend for Christians just to feel alright under their circumstances. Since we've been raised with Christ in the new birth and will be resurrected eternally, we are over our circumstances. Paul wrote in uh, Romans 8.37, In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. He's speaking of our suffering. And so, unless we live with eternal perspective, not here and now, but eternal perspective, the all-too-frequent troubles of this world will pull us under. And so we have to follow Paul's motto as we see in Romans 8. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And so we may say, I'm weak. I'm falling apart. I have chronic pain. I have illness, disease. I'm facing death. Sin and the curse of death are winning. And we like Jesus did, will die. But, if a Christian, we, like Jesus did, will rise. In a supernatural body that doesn't get sick, 
that does not get injured, that does not die. What a great day. No doctors. No health insurance. Praise God. In the kingdom of Christ, there is no need for medical coverage. The instant we die, our immortal soul will be with Christ. And at the final judgment, we will see, the body will be resurrected, it will be transformed, it will be glorified, it will be united with our soul. That is amazing. Verse 45, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. He quotes from Genesis 2, 7 here. He goes on in verse 47, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. So God made Adam from the dust of the earth and Jesus, the last Adam, came down from heaven. 48, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Here's this point. We are all born with a body, and that body is under the curse, right? We all know that. There's no questioning that. As sons and daughters of Adam, we are sick, we are frail, we are weak, we are dying. But this is not how God created us initially, right? The weak, dying body is as a result of sin and of God's perfect creation being marred. And so this is part of the all things that Christ is reconciling to Himself. We are born into the curse like all of creation and our bodies too are screwed up just like everything else. Conversely though, to Adam is Jesus. He lived as a human. He endured with the same suffering and hardships as humans. He did it all without sin perfectly. He was crucified, he was buried, he was resurrected. And now Paul says, through Jesus is victory over sin. Victory over the curse. Victory over disease, over sickness, over pain. Victory over death. And so we're born like Adam. And the believer is born again like Christ. And so for now... In this body, in this life, we share in Christ's sufferings. But we will rise again. We believe in the full, total, complete healing of all of God's people. But it won't occur until we receive our resurrected bodies. That will be immortal. They will be eternal. No more funerals. No more surgery, no more doctors. Amen. We all want that. 
We all want perfection. We all want beauty because God has placed eternity into the hearts of man. That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes has said. At some point, all of us have either said or thought something along the lines of, I wish there were no wars. I wish there were no death. I wish there were no AIDS orphans in Ethiopia. I wish everyone had clean drinking water and enough food. Everyone who has ever thought that, everyone who has ever felt that, has longed for it, yearned for it, desired these things, whether or not you acknowledge or understand it, what you want at the deepest level is Jesus Christ. You want somebody to take away sin from the entire world. You want someone to lift the effects of the curse off of all of creation. You want someone to get rid of disease, to get rid of illness, to get rid of frailty in the human condition. You want someone to give you a new body. And you want to live forever as a new person in a new place. And Paul makes very clear to us that this happens in Jesus Christ alone. Paul moves on to ask, how will we receive our glorified body? We will receive a transformed body. When? How? Verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. God is holy, we unholy. God eternal, We, in the flesh, mortal. God is a living God. We die. We are not, in the flesh, fit for heaven. So, God must take this frail, dying, broken, weak people and transform our bodies. Transform us so that we are living healthy and wholly fit for His kingdom. God does this through death. Through, first and foremost, Jesus' death and resurrection, which is prototypical of what is to come for those who trust in Jesus. That's it. Very plainly, this is about Jesus. The problem? Sin. The result of sin, the curse. The effects of the curse, sickness, injury, frailty, death. The answer, the resurrection of Jesus to conquer sin, to conquer sickness and death. And to undo all that is ours because of our first father, Adam. And until there's a transforming work by Jesus in our lives, we are not fit for the kingdom of heaven. When does that happen? Verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. 
When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul tells us that not all will die. Some will be alive at the last trumpet. What is he talking about? The final judgment when Jesus returns. The big grand finale to it all. The old world will pass. The new world will come. The dead in Christ will be raised, transformed, fit for heaven. Imperishable, immortal, our foe, death, will die. And death is our foe. And only through Jesus can death be beaten. Because only through Jesus can sin be defeated. And sin leads to death. The death of Christ defeated sin at the resurrection. Death death itself is finally defeated at the resurrection of His people. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death loses its sting. Death shall be no more. Amen? But until then, the sting of death is strong. Death stings. And the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. What Paul is telling us here is that God is good. God has given His holy, perfect, and righteous law. And the law is given to us, first and foremost, onto our hearts, and second of all, in Scripture. We know the law of God, and we know that all of us are law breakers. We know it in our hearts, we know it when looking at the Scriptures. We are all sinners, and that matters because sinners die. The penalty of sin is death. But Jesus lived without sin. But Jesus died for our sin. Jesus rose to conquer death, our great enemy. So through Jesus, we have forgiveness of sin, resurrection from the dead. So in the end, like Jesus, we will have the opportunity to scoff at death. It's winning now, but it shall die. How is that possible? Well, death is part of the curse. Remember in the garden, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you shall surely die. The curse was to be broken by perfect law-keeping of God's law. Very quickly, we saw man was not able to do that, and so Jesus did so perfectly on our behalf. And as a result of Jesus being able to fully fulfill the law of God, He was fully punished for the sins of His people, fully received the wrath of God. God made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Well, how does that work? The Scriptures tell us very plainly, we repent of our sins and believe the Gospel. I pray that all of us would love Jesus and by faith follow Him 
and that His resurrection would be prototypical of yours because you are in Christ. The dead in Christ shall rise and see Jesus face to face. We long for that day. We yearn for that day. And as Paul says in verse 57, thanks be to God that our hope is in victory through Jesus Christ. So what about until then? Paul closes out this chapter addressing that question. Verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. When you're sick, when you're beaten down, when you are suffering, you can begin to doubt and waver and question God's goodness and question your faith. That's our flesh. We'll do it, each and every one of us. God, why? Why sickness? Why disease? Why my back pain? Why cancer? Why death? Where is the good in all of this that you are supposed to be working for me? Paul says, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Including sickness, including car accidents, including cancer and broken bodies and funerals. Let nothing move you. Stand firm. Remember, we do not have a God who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Jesus Christ suffered. Jesus Christ died. Trust Him. Love Him. Lean into Him. Delight in Him. Find joy and rest and peace in Him because He has conquered death. And by and through Him, you, Christian, shall too conquer death. And so until then, Paul says, be always abounding in the work of the Lord. It is not in vain. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Comfort those who suffer with the comfort that you've received in your suffering. Share your hope with the hopeless. Make known your pain and your suffering. And that it is what it is because of the curse, but great hope and joy lie beyond the grave in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the only way to have that hope, to taste that joy, is to repent of our sin and to rest fully in Christ. To trust in His work on our behalf. Christian, we are called to call all the world to this to do the great work as Christ's ambassadors. It is not in vain. There is no hope. There is no life. There is no forgiveness. There is no healing. There is no eternity. There is no heaven apart from Jesus, only death and hell. But in Christ, as we sing, death is crushed to death. And life is ours to live. 
And as we strive and as we hope and as we proclaim and spread the gospel in word and deed and love God and love our neighbors, we do not labor in vain. We labor in the Lord and He shall prevail. And that, my brothers and sisters, gives us reason to sing and to celebrate and to rejoice. Jesus is alive. This life is not the only reality. We are pilgrims on a journey. We are vagabonds in a strange world, passing through to the next, doing ministry in the meantime that is not in vain. And here and now, in frailty and sickness and death, as we wait for the return of Christ and the resurrection of our bodies from the dead, we wait with hope and with joy because our God is a living God and He will win the battle. And so the call from Paul to all men, are you suffering? Are you weak? Are you wounded? Are you frail? Are you poor? Come to Jesus. That is His call. Come to Jesus. That's Paul's call to all of us. The great hope of the Gospel In Christ, we have hope beyond the grave. Hope upon hope. Life that will never end. Perfect union with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful. We are so incredibly grateful that we have the great joy of reflecting on the eternality of Christ and that He has seen fit to call us His sons and daughters, that we too can dwell eternally with Him and that all that we experience and suffer through in this life is, as Paul has said, not really even worth mentioning as compared to the glory that awaits us in heaven. God, You are so good to us to give us that reality, to give us that in Your Word, to be able to cling to and hope in, knowing that You, O Lord, are faithful always to fulfill Your promises and that we need not despair when Christ is our all in all. And so, Father, I pray for those here this morning who are weak and wounded and sick and frail and feeling beat down and depressed and broken. Give them hope in Christ. Give them hope to press on Give them hope to know that what is done in this life is not in vain. And that you will work all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. And that we have hope beyond hope. That while this life is but a mist and vanishes, that we will see Christ face to face. We will dwell with Him in perfect unity and joy. And that the frailty and the sin and the brokenness of this life will be no more. 
Until then, O Lord, make us to be great, mighty ambassadors of Christ, calling the world to be reconciled to God. Lord, we thank You and praise You that You have reconciled us to Yourself. And we await the glorious resurrection of the dead and our perfect union with Christ. That You would be glorified all the more and that we would be filled with perfect, unceasing joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.